Hello and welcome to another episode of Bullet Points, a critical podcast all about shooting games. My name's Ed Smith, I'll be the host this week, and I'm joined as ever by Reed McCarter. Hey Ed. Hey Reed, how are you? I'd rather not talk about it today. As usual, and my other co-host, Patrick Lindsay. I like how you said I'm the host this week, implying that it is not always the case. Well, anything could happen between now and the next episode, I might just drop dead. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Uh, we have jo- <laughs> uh, <laughs> got me worried about that, Ed. I know, I know. As if we haven't got enough to deal with on the administrative end of this podcast. Now we've got people <laughs> dropping dead. Um, we're also joined this week by a very special guest. Uh, he was the director on Bioshock 2. He also worked on the original Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite. Uh, and other credits include Thief 3 and some design work provisionally for what would have been a secret Deus Ex game that I don't think ever really saw the light of day. Uh, he's also just finished and released uh, his first independent title uh, as part of Question. Uh, that's the Magic Circle, which is on the PC, Mac, PS4, as you plug out of the way. Uh, Jordan Thomas is on the show this week. Hello. Hi. How are you, Jordan? Uh, I'm... I'm better and better. Uh, I'm recovering from from having shipped an indie game into the uh, the Steam market uh, as of 2015. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's no easy feed. No, it was it's, it was it was educational. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nice euphemism. Um, so this week we are going to be talking uh, about Fallout Three, um, which I think we've chosen because it's probably. The most popular Fallout game, I think. I don't think it has been usurped by four particularly, and it's one of the ones that I'd say uh, coming out in two thousand eight. I think it sort of shaped the template, the model, the sort of tropes and standards that we've perhaps come to expect from the sandbox game, from open world, endless gameplay, and also um, exploration based narrative, finding the story as you go along through doing things that you want to do. Um, made by Bethesda. Uh, followed by New Vegas, which was made by Obsidian, uh, and also Skyrim, which is a sort of spiritual successor. Um, I think we're just going to jump right into this one. I mean, the the plot, I think everyone's familiar with, it's an apocalyptic game. 200 years after a nuclear war has wiped out the United States, you play a lone survivor who must scour the wastelands surrounding Washington, D.C. to find your dad and put together a water purifier in the hope of bringing life back to this irradiated wasteland that's populated by monsters, zombies, raiders, bandits, etc. But of course, apart from doing that main story, there's lots of side quests, ambient challenges, things to find, customization, collectibles, etc., etc. So I'm going to throw first to Jordan, as is tradition. We always ask the guests first. Jordan, what is your general opinion of Fallout 3? Do you like it or do you dislike it? All right. Well, I have a I have a caveat which you can feel free to cut at will. My my disclosure is that uh, two of my very good friends worked on Fallout Three and and games beyond. Um, uh, Pete Hines and Emil Pagliarulo worked with me all the way back as far as the Adrenaline Vault, a kind of uh, online magazine. And you know we 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 worked with each other a little bit after that, and uh, and so like I will always have it in my heart to regard the their work sort of somewhat more sympathetically but I think even um, even if I can peel that sort of away from my opinion about the game I 
truly love Fallout 3. Uh, it was one of the only games that almost the entire Bioshock 2 design team does actually agreed on. <laughs> uh, and that that its strengths and its weaknesses are sort of both glorious. And, and uh, you know, I, I have, I've had sort of almost life-changing experiences in that game. So uh, thumbs up from me. Okay, Patrick? It's, uh, it's hard to follow that. Um, <laughs> I mean, Fallout 3 is such an enormous game that there is always going to be stuff to talk about and if there even if there are parts of it that you absolutely despise and can't stand there's bound to be something that you will latch on to um i played it back in 08 when it was released and i loved it then i haven't played it you know before revisiting it for this show um but i was pleased to find that it's still actually an enjoyable game um it we talk Actually, when we talked about Doom, we talked about games creating a sense of place and having an atmosphere, and Fallout 3, I think more so even than, than New Vegas, um, does that exceptionally well. Um, it's a great just sort of wander around an alternate world game. Okay, Reed? Yeah, I, it's hard to say with a game like, like Fallout 3 how much I like it or don't like it, because it it's kind of like what Jordan was saying. It occupies a very specific place in my mind, you know, mm. when I played it. Uh, like Patrick, I played it back when it came out, <clears throat> shortly after it came out, and it was, uh, you know, it was unlike anything else I had, I had really played. Um, and I found with other Bethesda games that are kind of in this framework where it's kind of do what you want, go and explore, and meet people and customize stuff and hit things uh when you go back to them again the magic i think kind of dissipates pretty quickly and you see the systems a lot more um which i think has happened to the genre as a whole but playing playing fallout 3 for the first time uh when it came out was very interesting very exciting personally i think that my enjoyment of it when it first came out, again, I loved it. I loved it for years. Uh, there's so much about Fallout 3 that I, that I like. And Patrick, like you were saying, whether you like things about it or dislike things about it, um, there's a lot to talk about because it's just so sizable and so varied. And there's just so much to kind of get in and get your head around. Um, if there's one thing I kind of say about Fallout 3 in hindsight, talking about it, you know, tonight or in 2016, is that personally I've grown, uh, wary and a little bit sort of frustrated with not just open world games but the, the sort of paradigm around open world games this idea that more choice more size more content is uh, better you know and that's that's the true nature of games is that you should be able to explore and do what you want and that's the right way to make a game I'm not convinced by that argument these days I will yeah I'll definitely agree with you and I'll actually go as far to say as many of the things that I dislike about Fallout 3 are not inherent to the game so much as that design philosophy sure and this is this is why i asked jordan on the show because jordan you know you worked on the bioshock series and the bioshock series is uh the kind of face you know it's synecdoche for environmental storytelling and explorative and emergent narrative and things like this um and i'm really curious especially now you've released the magic circle which is a game explicitly about the push and pull between player developer um what you think of open world structuring what do you think of a game that is built and designed like fallout well um so i'm i'm sympathetic to the sort of core creative impulse behind it i know how we got 
to where we are now, the, the sort of desire to um, abdicate authorship to the player and say like, okay, like, no, you really have editorial primacy here. You, you run the show. And, and so we're, we're never going to tell you where to go and what to do. Um, I think that that is easier said than done. And, and what ended up happening, like as much as I love fallout three, you know, it, the, I, I found that the, when, when it came time to tie off your experience and to try to, and to try to redock with the story that, that, you know, they were sort of obligated to tell as, as a, as a single player RPG, um, I'd lost the thread and didn't, didn't care anymore, but I had such profound player created experiences with it. And I, I can, I can get into that later if you guys want, um, uh, that nah. I sort of felt like they were at the, the, the game was a little bit at odds with itself and, and that, that, that genre is a little bit at odds with itself. The, 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 and if you look at, and I know we're not, not talking about Fallout 4 a ton, but Fallout 4 is, is a game where that conflict has, has really crystallized, where it's actually much better if you ignore the go anywhere, do anything philosophy that, that, uh, Fallout 3 sort of, um, was, was the, one of the strongest expressions of, um, mm-hmm. Uh, Fallout 4, like, my wife basically bailed on it because it felt like nothing was happening, and that's because she was trying to do all of the, the sort of, um, you know, side and, and, and exploratory content before going on the main line, because that was the right way to play an open world game. But actually, uh, following the main plot opens up new layers of meaning and kind of lenses through which to view the world. Uh, mm. and, and so, so I, I find Fallout 4 to be a much better game if, if you just pursue the story. And there's no indication of that because of so much expectation that we've, we've thrown at the open world genre that, that it's actually, you know, people feel almost bad, uh, if uh, going the direction that the plot says to go. Well, I'm reminded, Reed, of something you wrote, uh, I think last year. No, earlier this year. I can't remember. About Just Cause 3. And, uh, you described that game as, like a long day kicking over sandcastles on a beach you know it's it's you can go along and sort of do it but it's quite idle and dreary and effortless and whatever uh, you know it's fun and it's chaotic but it's not really much of anything um and personally that's how i feel about player created experiences as jordan termed them uh, <laughs> the, the the things that i do in a game you know i can sit here and describe to you about this amazing car chase i had in grand theft auto and talk about it beat for beat or this a really poetical moment that occurred in Fallout, completely at random, you know, completely organically. But to me, it always just feels like I'm telling somebody about a dream that I had. It doesn't feel particularly um, impressive or, or substantive. Reed, what do you think? Yeah, no, I I get that a lot too. Um, like ar- around the time Fallout Four came out, I think that was kind of the last time I was willing to really give. Well, no, that's not fair. If there was some you know, big open world game and I was going to write about it in some way, I would approach it with an open mind. But Fallout 4 was, you know, something that I was thinking, okay, like I'm ready to kind of get sucked into this. And and I think the gap when you look at, you know, what Jordan said about how, how Fallout 4 kind of crystallizes some of the problems with this sort of design, uh, back when Fallout 3 came out, it was easy to just kind of lose yourself in, in that world and you know, you almost forget about the main plot and you just kind of drift around. Um, and I kind of lost my thread on this. But I, I, I think uh, 
you could you say know. you found yourself too preoccupied with side quests. That's right. <laughs> the side quest of my train of thought. Um, but no, it's 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 uh, it's hard to when there isn't enough control. Sort of paradoxically, games are always saying, you know, let's let you do what you want to do. But when they let you have too much of it, I feel like it's hard for any of it to seem like it matters a whole mm. lot. You see, I, I want game makers to be total uh, dictators. You know, I want them to be snobs. I want them to be des- despots. And I want them to, to really just sort of force players to, you know, sit and listen and shut up and just <laughs> just imbibe what the, the game maker has to say. Um, I'm talking now. Yeah, yeah ex- exactly. You know, in a way that a novel and a film... I, I know these are you're not meant to make these comparisons, but yeah, that's what I like. At least more of, if not like uniformly, at least more of. Well, and I should probably say too. I mean, with Fallout Four, eventually I kind of threw in the towel, and as Jordan was saying about you know following the main plot makes that game better. At a certain point, I said, "Well, enough of this meandering around and just followed the plot," mm. and it seemed like a much better game. Like I, I think over you know the last few years, I've I've come closer to uh, the kind of approach that that you were just talking about, Ed. Like mm. that is sort of something I prefer at this point is to be shown. I, I don't want the responsibility put on me because I didn't make this game. Patrick, Patrick, what do you think? I mean, what do you think about this uh, idea of Fallout Three, uh, giving the, the placing the onus of sort of telling the story and driving the action on the player? Uh, what do you think of it, and where do you think it maybe comes from? Um, where does it come from? I I don't know. I mean, we talk a lot on this show about sort of the, the need to, to put hashtag content in games to sort of the, the idea of justifying a purchase and I think that's a cynical way of looking at it but I think it's also partially an accurate way of looking at it but more I guess less less cynically I think it boils down to a matter of preference do you want games to be sort of an interactive like, like literal sandbox or do you want them to be another form of, of narrative media and I don't pose that as a dichotomy I'm not saying it has to be one or the other it can be both at the same time or different times um but I mean, my leaning, and I've said this many times, is that you know there's an inverse relationship between player agency and narrative cohesion. And if you want to quote tell a story, you really do just have to grab people by the wrist and drag them through it. Um, if you want people to just find things and experience your world, that's awesome and really cool. And Fallout Three is great at that. Um, but then there are other elements that it is not so great at, like, as I'm sure we'll talk about narrative stuff and thematic stuff. Um, so my, my personal preference, I think, is more in line with most of us here, is I would much rather have an authored experience rather than view a game as almost kind of like a... Uh, this this sounds like a pejorative, but it's not. Um, viewing games like a, a toy box, basically, that you can sort of do whatever you want with. Yeah, I um, think there's a... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, please, Jordan. After you. Well, um, I don't want to lose this thought because I've actually been thinking about it a lot outside the context of Fallout um, because my as I've gotten older, I'm, I'm becoming much more interested in games that connect me to anyone. Um, ideal cases that I get to curate, you know, to some extent the group of people it connects me to, but um, I think the the fundamental sadness of sharing a dream with another person, which we've talked about before, Ed, mm. is that they never 
really can can be suffused by that emotional context and imagery and, and all of the sort of personal symbol uh, language that 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 made that dream meaningful to you. But meanwhile, a cooperative experience with a lot of emergent elements and, and a kind of dialogue of systems uh, can become a, something that 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 galvanizes a friendship that, that sort of cements, you know, uh, a shared reality between the two of you. And mm. I, I'm I'm sort of seeking those experiences out much more, and and very, and we've actually changed what we intend to do with our next game for exactly that reason. We're we're making a cooperative game next uh, because right. of that sort of feeling of of solipsistic sadness of of a single player experience. Like when I was younger, that didn't matter to me. I think that like playing with dolls instinct is perfectly healthy and and fine for a while. But um, if you spend years doing it, you may have a moment. I certainly have where you stop and go like, how long? Have I basically been connected to a dreaming machine, mm. uh, uh, putting putting much signal sort of into and out of the machine, but nobody else can can really share in it, right? And and I think the Fallout games have this. They they, they the best thing they do is provide a massive group of players with a world that they share outside of the game experience. They, they love that world so much that through cosplay and Let's Plays and all this greater culture, they have found ways to to sort of share the way that they um, embody a character in that world with others, despite the fact that the fundamental design is isolationist. And, mm-hmm. and, and so there's a, there's a sort of weird noble struggle to that. And, and, and that's why I love the Fallout game so much is actually the the way that they're, they sort of rippled out into greater um, kind of entertainment <laughs> culture. Not because I think that the design is super great for for people to do long term, and and that we should uh, that that we should keep our experiences separate from one another. Like I'm I'm really craving the opposite of that. I've always wanted co-op in Fallout, and I know why they have chosen not to do that, and I, I respect it. But you know, it's it's one of those things that I think I I just need it now, and and uh, I, I want to to actually be able to share a dream with one of you assholes. <laughs> um, yeah, I I think. So I, I, before I lose this thought, I wanted to just say, I mean, I think that there's something, Jordan, about, um, you know, you want to make games that connect you to someone. And you're right that, uh, you know, you're playing in the dollhouse, you're connected to a machine that's, that's dreaming, as you put it. Um, and that is something that I, I don't necessarily see as only being combated by cooperative games. I actually think that there's a way to kind of reach someone and connect somebody uh, by basically connecting the player very directly to the game maker, and I feel yes, like some, yes. I, I feel like something like Fallout, uh, which is basically handing you a big box full of toys. I feel very disconnected from the people that made this game. I feel like I've been left alone to play in a separate room, and that I've been given all of these distractions so they don't have to say anything to me explicitly, so they don't have to sort of deal with me or answer my questions. I feel very disconnected. Does it? a quote that I love from a, a, a writer called Alan Bennett. I don't know how popular he is in America. And he talks about that the greatest pleasure in reading is when you come across a thought or a feeling or an experience that you thought was exclusively yours and somebody else has put it into words. And it's as if uh, a, a, hand, a hand has reached out and taken your own. Yeah. And that, that the soulmate the, effect. The soulmate effect. And that is that is what I find absent from a game like Fallout. It's what I find absent from games... Uh, at large, and I, 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 open world games in the fashion of Fallout, I think are just um, at the antithesis of, of connecting to players. Even though they sort of masquerade as giving players lots of things to become excited about and to 
imbibe and to throw themselves into, they feel to me the antithesis of connection. See, that, that that's interesting. I, I, I have a couple things to say about that. First, thank God you said that, because I kind of got lost on the side quest there. Like, that, that was sort of what I was jumping off of in the first place, is that <laughs> I think that movement towards playing games that have a stronger authorial voice is out of a new craving for connection. And not mm. everybody has it, and not everybody's at the phase of their life where they, they need it that badly, but I, I, a lot of the people I know and respect are, are kind of realizing, like, wait, wait, what am I really doing here? And, you know, am I, am, I, am I meeting another mind or, or am I just kind of reflecting my own? And, and each of those has its place. But I would also argue that that people don't connect to architects enough. They, they don't respect um, those who, who sculpt uh, spaces in which experiences have a softer touch. Uh, like I, I, I do feel connected to Bethesda in aggregate over over many, many, and this is outside of my personal connection to a couple of the guys there, over many, many experiences shaped by them in the same way that I do with certain buildings uh, by, by Gaudi, if I'm, I'm pronouncing that right. I've, I've only ever read the read the word, um, uh, maybe Gaudi also. But mm. uh, the, 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 it's a softer touch, but I feel that there is still a curation there and there is still a, a sort of broad um, sort of, lens that that I that I can become familiar with that tints all experiences that they decided to to sort of um, create the outer limits of even though moment to moment yeah I, I probably am not going to learn much about the individual life of an individual team member right I, I, mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's still a valid approach but but I agree with you that if you really are if you are craving specificity above all and I think I think a lot of us are um, it, it's harder to find that in an open world, and and uh, and particularly an open world game that is is single player. Mm. Yeah, I I mean I imagine a lot of it comes down to what you sort of look for in in art or in entertainment, uh, the aspects of it that kind of reach out to you. Um, you know, I I like uh, music and books sort of most of all and I've always known that what I like about them and then this applied to games as well is is like sort of what Ed was saying the the feeling that someone is expressing something that that they've clearly expressed that you might be able to latch on to and share um, and to me like I it's a really interesting point Jordan about not appreciating architecture enough you know the idea because you can definitely tell uh, who made these spaces in a, in a big open game like like a Fallout, but to me that's like kind of just being in someone's house rather than talking to them. Mm-hmm. Like I, I still get an idea of what they value in in what they've constructed here and, and how they've made this space, but I don't I don't get the sense that I'm actually really meeting them. You know mm-hmm. that I'm getting the full extent of of what they could be saying. And I, yeah. I think, yeah. I think that's, that, that's a dynamic that applies to so many games. That's something that I feel when I play, we bring this game up all the time because Reed likes it and I loathe it. Everybody's Gone to the Rapture is a game where you are exploring empty architecture and you can sort of think about, oh, you know, maybe they were this and maybe they were that. But I don't feel like I can ever really know anyone. And it's especially noticeable in that game because it's, you know, ostensibly about people and the people that lived here, but you don't really feel like you're touching any of them, let alone the people that made the game. Uh, oh, I, feel, I feel not. In... Sorry. Oh, sorry. I, I don't want to do a big tangent about this, but that also, I think, kind of 
comes back to sort of what you could relate to or what you want out of it because for me that's probably the prime example of a game where I feel like the like the creators are speaking directly to me very <laughs> powerfully you know yeah. and for you it's the exact opposite it is it is the exact opposite um but I think one thing I ought to make clear just for my sort of side of the discussion is that I'm not sort of uh saying, you know, all games must be specific, all games must connect directly to you, all games must speak of something that happened specifically to one member of the team. I just think that there's such a drought of that kind of literature, if you like, in games. There's there's a, a total absence of it almost. That um, is something that I, I, I guess is, is, is worth talking about as if it is, you know, uh, desperately needed. Patrick, we've yeah, not... Yeah, this is, this is going to sound like a weird thing to say, especially because I bring it up kind of as a complaint, but Fallout 3 is a game that is, at least to my mind, designed primarily to be capital F fun, rather than to convey a certain feeling or message or emotion or set of values. It does all of those things, but I think primarily it's meant to just give players a bunch of tools that they can use to, um, you know, wander the wastelands and live out a a power fantasy. Um, And... That is, and this I recognize as a personal preference again, but that is not why I, I play games primarily. Um, so a game that is, we'll call it fun forward, obnoxiously like Fallout Three, um, it it strikes me, and like saying empty or, or vapid sounds mean, and I don't mean it that way, but it, it seems almost kind of hollow, even though the game is often praised for its, you know, its its visual storytelling and its its use of uh, setting and, and set dressing to sort of convey a sense of place and to, to tell a history. It all, to me, feels like you're just kind of walking through a museum, which, I mean, that game, you sometimes actually literally are walking through museums. <laughs> um, but the whole, the whole game to me feels like you're walking through, you know, rooms that have been staged. We're going to, we're going to lay this, this skeletal corpse just so, and we're going to leave this, this uh, computer terminal message open right here so that you learn this exact information at this precise time. And I, I know that you have to do that to an extent in open world games because otherwise it would just be, be chaos. But it's hard for me to really get a gut punch from a game like that because it, to me it just seems so... Again, I say purposeful. And I don't mean deliberate. I mean almost kind of like trying to try too hard to force a certain way it's engineered yeah there there we go yeah thank you that's why you're the host well, well jordan i mean you you can presumably give us some very you know unique and, and specialist insight here because um you worked on fort frolic in the first bioshock game which is the level if, if people don't know the levels by name when you encounter sander cohen the uh, sort of deranged artist of rapture and uh, he tasks you with venturing into three or four different areas, I can't remember how many exactly, to, to find different people who have wronged him, kill them, take photographs of their bodies so that he can use those photographs to create a, a triptych. Ah, so it's three places. Um, and, you know, Bioshock was uh, a progressive game, I think, or at least it, it was one that sort of brought these progressive and different ideas very much into the mainstream if they had existed before. And it's one that is always, always talked about in discussions about, you know, open world design, emergent storytelling and so on. So the things that Patrick just described there, this this problem, I guess, with uh, a game like that 
like Fallout feeling feeling hollow because it's it's so designed around player enjoyment, player fun, player accessibility. Um, how do you get around that? How do you make an open world level, basically? You know, what are some of the things that you have to worry about? Well, um, it's funny because I, I maybe maybe this is going to come off as as sort of cynical or worldly or something, but I I, I view Bioshock as just as manipulative and hands-on, if not more so, with, with all of those tactics as, as a Fallout game. Like, the, mm-hmm. the perhaps the, the biggest differentiator for me is the fact that Bioshock does have a pretty strong authorial message in, in, in all, of, all of them and is, is at least uh, significantly more honest about its manipulation. Uh, and that, that could be good or bad. I, I, you know, as a player, I tend to buy the open-world RPGs more than the, the sort of linear shooters with a, a capital M message. But um, I, I guess I don't know that I would. I, I don't know that I would, I would hold us up as a as an ultra elegant example. I would I would say that we we put a lot of love into each of those scenarios, but they were all just as let's try to make damn sure the player is look, looking this direction uh, as uh, as anybody else. Um, the the thing that that was important to me is comfort specifically um, I think has has uh, become a sort of an opiate that that we've gotten used to um, uh, across the board that in, in an effort for in some, you know a high-minded effort for ac- accessibility and some other reasonable goals we've also gone for comfort and ego stroking at all times and mm-hmm. Um, I, I would agree that that and and this is somewhat different from Fallout to Fallout, even within the Bethesda ones, and definitely different from Fallout to New Vegas. Um, but uh, there is a real desire not to leave anybody behind and not to get you too hung up on any one scene or any one moment. And so your comfort is very very important. And one of the smarter things they did, I know this this podcast is about about shooting to an extent, is is to is to add a, a means by which a regular human might sidestep the the often repetitive and and somewhat you know um, rough shooting mechanics at the core of the game, right? So so Vats is this is this way of saying to you, don't worry, um, there's another way to engage with this. You don't really have to be playing a, a traditional FPS here if you don't want to. Bringing it back round, in in my levels, I'm. I'm willing to make you uncomfortable for a while. I'm willing to do things that, that sort of put the lie to your primacy and to say you're not the protagonist of, of the world, the universe, and everything, at least for right now, because that doesn't feel real to me. Life doesn't feel that way to me. Uh, I, I need to be made to be taken way out of my comfort zone to respect a work of art. Um, and and that's, just, that's just a reality. And so I, I tried to do that when I could. Even if it was just on a thematic level, right? Even if I just asked you to do something that was kind of gross, <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I at least I at least wanted there to be some kind of dialogue between you and yourself about like, you know, is, is is this should I keep doing this? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, um, and 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 but but really that was just a tactic to make myself feel myself feel better. Um, you know, that when you watch a player go through your levels and fail constantly to find the the very well lit switch. Uh, well lit switch. I'm sorry that lets them out of the room. And I remember seeing a, a poor playtester who couldn't leave the first bathosphere. Right? Mm-hmm. It, it it a certain madness creeps in, and and you do start to file off those rough edges, and you do constantly question yourself when you make a decision that is art over accessibility and art over comfort. 
um, or art over engineering, to use the term that you've been using. And, and you know, so I, I guess I'm just saying that uh, I'm waist deep in blood over here, guys. Like, I, I can't really I can't really cast, cast any judgment. <laughs> no, but it's... Um, oh, sorry, Patrick. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Reed. No, I was going to say, like, I, I wonder how much you can really do, though, because this is something I've struggled with before about how experimental you can be with a game, which is premised on being able to advance through it is not like listening to challenging music or watching challenging film. You still have to push it forward, you know, with your input. So if you obfuscate too much how to actually do that in the service of getting a message across, I mean, I want that, but then at the same time, do I? Because then can I actually fully appreciate what's been made? You know, like it's like what Jordan is saying, where you have to let the player figure out how to keep going. Uh, and that, that uh, stand-up comic who actually talks about that. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's a British or a Scottish guy, I guess. Ed probably knows him personally. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, of course. They hang out so, together yeah. in that terrible playground in Glasgow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, no, it's that, I mean, the entire bit is that exact thing. It's games are like the only real medium where they... <laughs> They test you before they let you continue. Oh, I know I know the guy you're talking about. It's Daro Brian. He's actually Irish. Oh, uh, sorry. Whoa. Oh, Patrick. Yeah, and he, he talks about, you know, games are the only medium that, uh, in his words, deny you content. You know, you don't you don't reach the middle of a book and it asks you, you know, how well are you understanding the book? Oh, not enough. Go back and read the next the last three chapters again before you can advance. Uh, but games do do that. Um, and yeah, uh, you know, to try and keep us on point here with with Fallout, um, I think one of the tensions that I experience is that you know you're meant to be a grizzled, struggling, desperate for survival wastelander, but you inevitably find yourself fighting and killing basically everything as you go on. You accumulate a lot of weapons and bullets. You've got a device that can tell you where to go at all times. You've got very simple mechanics for healing yourself and. Uh, you know, just keeping yourself alive, basically. I don't think that it's it's that often, apart from a few, you know, aesthetic touches and maybe the odd moment where your back's up against the wall. But generally, you you, you feel fairly empowered. You know, the the, the sort of now na- the narrative pretense of that game is not sold through what you do on a moment to moment basis. Um, and again, I'm going to throw it to Jordan, despite his um, wading through players' blood here. Um, how how do you, if you've got a, okay, I'll tell you what, we're sitting down to design a AAA open world game, right? What do you have first? Do you have, we're going to tell this story about these characters, or the player is going to be doing this in the game? Uh, Mechanics so or story? I, I, I have a real strong narrative bias, and so even though, thank fuck, I, I was, I was, raised by the sort of systems-driven school of design that came out of MIT and shaped looking glass and all that. Um, they, they sort of stopped me from just making kind of point-and-click adventure games for the rest of my life, which, which would have been a real shame. Um, I, I have to tell myself a story of what, the, what I expect the player to do, kind of, kind of disembodied moments, like... like uh, a slightly more elegant version of wouldn't it be cool if this and then this and then this and then I reverse engineer that to the mechanics that would be necessary to make to make those moments happen I don't say for the most part because I've just seen it lead to disaster I don't say 
here's the super deep emotional relationship between the father and his estranged lesbian daughter or whatever um, that you that you will ultimately realize that you were playing both of them the whole time. Like if, I, if you start there, it's going to be destroyed by the iterative process. So mm-hmm. I, I, I tend to go with, with a kind of high theme and a bunch of moments that seem like they might be compelling, a, a sort of fantasy, uh, which, which is a little bit like a snippet of a dream. And then say like, okay, well, what is the systemic fabric that would will allow those to happen consistently, and and then write a story around that once it start once you're out of the prototype phase and um, the world is kind of roughly connected. And by the way, you know, Bioshock uh, doesn't regardless of how you feel like it, the game succeeded pretty well at kind of threading the needle between lots of different types of audiences and 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 brought what what would have in previous decades been niche. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of experience to a, a wider audience, so, so let's assume that it that it was successful in that. Bioshock, right. for various reasons, um, some of them just business related. It, it for a long time it was just a very systemsy sequel, uh, spiritual sequel in people's heads to to the System Shock series, and then a narrative was sort of painted around it uh, with with a few awesome exceptions. A few big moments, uh, uh, but but it grew bottom up, and and that is, I guess I, I I found that to be more successful and more honest about what a video game actually is. So mm-hmm. so it's it's I can't pretend that I'm I'm one of those guys who's like I'm going to I'm I'm going to talk about some rules. I'm going to get super excited about some rules. Let's make a rules thing. And oh, I guess it should have some story too. Like that's just not how I think. <laughs> But I, but I do try to keep myself honest by not selling myself on any one, you know, big character or, or twist of plot because it's just going to get obliterated. So, I'm one of those. I'm one of those assholes who thinks that you know, narrative and mechanics are not two different things, and ideally, in a in a perfect you know utopia, are actually two sides of the same coin. And it's easy for me to say, not having developed a game that isn't interactive fiction and therefore 96% narrative. Um, but I think that one way of approaching it would be to focus not on not starting with a story, but instead starting with a theme. Um, things that you want the game to convey to the player. And that can very often be plot points and story beats, but it can also just be a feeling or an attitude. And themes are way not easier, but it's more straightforward to try and dictate those those parts of a game mechanically um, because as we talked about many times on this show um, games do or don't do things that can kind of quietly in the background constantly be sending a message to players uh, like for example Far Cry 2 is always trying to kick your ass because part of the theme of that game is this is a terrible world that you live in and you are nothing but another actor in that you know awful murder drama just for example um and again, I don't know that... I think originally Fallout kind of had a, a thematic direction. It was essentially trying to make you feel like you were Mad Max. But um, I don't know that by the time we get to Fallout 3 that that is necessarily still intact. Hmm. I, oh, sorry. I, I still felt that when I... I mean, I had only played a little bit of Fallout 1 and Fallout 2 at a friend's house growing up. Um... So when I played Fallout Three, I I was actually I, I think mechanically bought bought way into the 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 feeling that they're trying to give you of being a survivor, and you know it felt hard scrabble, and it felt like you're picking up junk just to sell it so you can try to you know get a few more items that'll help you 
continue onward. Um, but that goes back to what I was saying. I, th I think at the time, I wasn't as cynical <laughs> about the mm -hmm. systems that I was mm -hmm. seeing. I was able to buy into the fantasy a bit more. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't mean to belabor this one point, but I feel apparently very strongly about it. I think that <laughs> <laughs> there's... There's Dear diary, experienced emotions today. <laughs> I'm surprised as anybody. In, in Fallout Three, where um, you just you kind of cross this, you, you, you crest this hill, so to speak, and then it's all you, you gain so much momentum that basically any challenge is leached out of it. Um, hmm. Like yeah. there was a, there was some point where I had like no fewer than ten thousand bottle caps at any given moment, so I could literally buy whatever I wanted, but I didn't need to because I constantly had a steady stream of ammo that I was looting off of corpses and wow, wow that's that's grim to say out loud but um, and, and again I, I know that that is a mechanical method of character development um, you're telling the story of how your character grows by by them progressively becoming more of a, of a badass but um, I, playing Fallout 1 which I haven't completed but I've, I've played a lot of um, that game is terrifying you you always are like just about to die all the time and the opening parts of fallout 3 that is definitely the case like when you're wandering around after you just leave the vault and you have nothing on you but like a cracked baseball bat and some some dreams but um <laughs> that that goes away or at least in my playthroughs it went away you know in a way that i didn't experience when i played its predecessors I think that's true, and I, I've I've talked about that with with friends who have played these games, and I think it it goes also for Skyrim and uh, New Vegas as well, where you you do reach a point, this kind of like you said, uh, Patrick, where you you crest a hill and that's it, you know. Um, any of the sort of narrative thrust or you know implied drama or um, suspense of those worlds is is gone, never to return. Well, you um, have to. I have something to say about about this stuff uh, before I forget, which is which is that um, you have to be willing to slough off a pretty significant percentage of your player base. Like you have to be willing to say for the art, for the theme, right? Um, because difficulty uh, and competence are 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 kind of married to the idea of hardship as theme. Player skill creates this massive band, the, this this huge you know kind of um, range of of, of uh, experiences that that your that you know this major actor in the composition, the the actual audience is going to have in your world. So if you say no, it's it's hard Scrabble. Like I know people for whom Fallout Three was incredibly hard Scrabble, and I know people for whom it was an absolute cakewalk. Like they could they could beat it one handed, you know, while texting, and and so. <laughs> Like one one of the things that I think is really important, it kind of comes back to that point I was trying to make about architecture is one of the glorious things about Bethesda games, and it's it, you could think of it as less flattering depending on how how big you are on the author, but Bethesda games are worlds above all. Like I absolutely feel the theme uh, of that world when I'm in it. I don't think that any given moment in it is necessarily that glorious, but I, there are standouts that sort of inform my overall impression of it, like the, the sort of violin quest, right? The, the, the mm. meat and potatoes of the violin quest, not great. Like you're just hunting for, for um, parts, uh, parts in, a, in a, another, another bunker full of assholes. But 
the beginning and end of that, you bring a little bit of beauty to this dead world, and and it and it, it's a filter that you can turn on any time to sort of color the rest of your experience after that point. The mm-hmm. that stuff has led to players adopting it and saying like, okay, to make this more artful, to make this more honest, to make this more like a survival scenario, I'm gonna mod it. I'm gonna make the survival mode of Fallout, which is which really does feel like an art house game. And they, they have always been so open about about their tool sets. They've always said, yes, make our games better. And they and people legitimately have. That, that, that idea of abdicating power to the player, maybe, maybe it does confuse things within the single player design, but outside of the single player design, which is to say letting people sort of refract the, ex, the original experience and, and remix it into something new and harsher and, and stranger without the commercial pressures, that, that, that shit is beautiful. And, and that, I think, may be what video games actually long-term offer culture, not so much the sort of interactive fantasy halfway between, between novels and board games that, that we've, we've been embodying for a long time. I think that, that may be where, where we're, we're starting to approach you know, our actual position <laughs> in, well, in, in, in the cosmos. My question then is this. If it's self-evident that people who play Fallout are, are willing... You're not only hungry for these kind of more art house experiences, this harder sort of survival game, not only willing, uh, not, not only sort of hungry for it, but you know, willing to go to the extent of making mods. Why do game makers not just release that game themselves? Why are they scared of doing so? Why leave it up to modders? I mean, if, if people are out there and they want this stuff, why not produce that video game? Well, they do to an extent, right? The Souls series is is uh, a rare example well, of well, a very... Lo- oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, ignoring maybe the specific survival genre, let's just talk about, you know, uh, in the grander sense, a game that is more maybe thematically challenging, a game that is more... Oh, okay. Not, you know, why, why not release... What I'm basically saying, I think, is that these Fallout mods perhaps suggest that the player base for these games, big games, is maybe a little bit more sophisticated, a little bit more savvy than the base game might imply. Uh, so, you know, where are the the kind of but the, you, the, the smarter blockbusters, if you like? My my guess is, and this will sound again. Everything I say uh, this episode <laughs> sounds denigrating, but really isn't. Um, anytime you're making something, especially on that scale, you shoot for the lowest common denominator which I don't say is a pejorative but there are people who don't want that who just want you know they, they want the you know the fallout themed wallpaper while they walk around and, and win everything um, so I think you 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 build to that first and then you can you know tailor it to the specific whims of the, the minority yeah, and if, if interestingly, if you look at like, so I know we're talking about Fallout Three, but I talked about Fallout Four for just a second. Like the the, and, and if I'm talking too much, you guys just tell me to shut the fuck up. Um, the, no, 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 please. One of the things that was interesting about watching my wife play Fallout Four is that if you imagine the themes of Fallout Four are not about um, how hard it is and how brutal it is and how humanity essentially degrades to kind of entropy with a face. But instead, about just for a second, just imagine that that it's about the fact that the few kind of lift the many up over time, and that that the the spirit will eventually triumph, and, and ingenuity with almost any resources will will kind of um, will rebuild itself, right? Um, 
she engaged with the the sort of construction mechanics in a way that was not possible previously and 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 it did come down to some extent to feeling put upon and and um and just wearied by the constant shooting, right? So, so to, to her, the, the stuff that felt new and engaging and daring, you know, the, the sort of smarter blockbuster side of it was the stuff that, that dared to go constructive, that, that dared to say, okay, yes, everything sucks, but, um, and, and I do think that to answer your question, Ed, it does come down a little bit to that, that problem of skill. Video mm. games um, are like a language that, that, you know, assholes like us who are on a podcast about it, have had the privilege of years to going from a joystick, you know, all the way, or maybe not the millennials, but anyway, going from very <laughs> primitive controllers to more and more advanced controllers. And if you put that in front of, we've talked about this before, Ed, but if you put that in front of somebody who does not have that language, who does not have those deep structures, the, the controller looks like this absurd sex toy, and they go, what? Well, why Why would I do that with my time? And and yeah. so so the the smarter blockbuster, if there is an action component that relies so heavily on that on that, that set of skills, it does tend to weed them out. And if you if you focus test, which people with lots of money focus test, you see those folks falling away, and that makes the team sad. And they say like, what is it that important to us to to uh, to have our, our sort of central loop um, send those people packing? And and they say no. <laughs> well, yeah, that's my that's my question to you. Um, at, at, because Jordan, you have insight into the industry that we don't have. Um, at what point? And I know this is different case to case, but at what point do you just say, "Okay, well, we're not going to please those people. This game is just not for them." Yeah, uh, sorry, wait. Who's who, <laughs> was that for me or for? Yeah, for you. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I quit. I quit. Like, like I, I did, I lived through years of that, and my uh-huh. answer was to make smaller games with a smaller team. Like, okay. I, you know, the the it, I, I will tell you, yes, that it was incredibly frustrating and soul draining, and all of those things that a very privileged person uh, who has had the had the great luxury to be working in video games at all um, might occasionally say on a bad day um, to try and pitch to people who are just trying to make the maximum number of dollars possible, why something a little more daring or or um, thematically challenging or just that explains less of itself um, mm. was a good idea. And to have it shot down, that that sucks. And so I, I went real small. I went the other way. I realized I'm actually not that mainstream. And I, and I may never be that mainstream and, and I should just embrace it. Um, but, but I... I don't know that it matters so much. I don't know. The point I was trying to make before is I don't know that it matters so much what the game makers um, originally intended for their world. I, I, I think with a, a project this big, with a tool set that opens up to the players, I think those infinite refractions are arguably more important. And I am I love the fact that some of the bigger selling games on Steam were mods of mods of mods. That grew into these blockbusters. I, I I love the fact that that you know somebody might might and and look we we were not able to do this with the magic circle, but we certainly wanted to. Might take the tools that that are at the end of that game without spoiling too much, uh, and do something with it that we didn't see coming, and eventually get rich off of that. Like that that would that would be glorious to witness. A little painful, but also glorious. <laughs> and it, so so I don't know. I I guess. 
I don't, I think as long as you're taking money from an entity that only wants to turn that money into more money, there's going to be this question of like, why are you losing these people? Why are you choosing to lose these people? And, and sometimes you find that your own tastes are such that it's not actually that important. Like the, the, whatever the difficult thing was, the divisive element was not that important to you. And, and the people who stay at AAA studios keep answering, no, it's not. Like I, I'm totally fine making a thing that is very popular for lots of people and letting the mods and so forth be the people who, who, who introduce interesting edges for their own sake. And maybe they, maybe like 99% of them suck, but one of them is going to be brilliant. Great. I, 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 think, I, I had to I, flee. <laughs> I had to yeah, flee. <laughs> I, I think that's such a depressing state of affairs. And this idea of, of the controller being like this sort of impenetrable or, you know, an uh, insurmountable gateway. I mean, you learn to read because it's worth reading and because books are worth reading. I feel like if, if games, more games had something worth telling people then learning how to use a controller would feel more worthwhile and more people would do it. It feels like this kind of self-fulfilling, self-defeating sorry, circle. Uh, games have very little to say, so people don't learn how to play them, so games have to continue to reach people who, you know, only want the kind of simplest, briefest experiences. I mean, so on and so on. yeah. Now, now, look. You, you know, and I, you know that we're we're kind of on like at least opposite sides of a spectrum on on that cynicism. Like, I I have days where I think exactly that way. But but I would I would hasten to add that for a lot of people, learning to read late in life is a huge ask. Like, of course, it's a it's a you know, and and I would say that the let's play phenomenon is in part people who feel that games do have something to say. And it's not just about expense. It's not just because they can't afford those games. It's because they, they actually would, are having a less meaningful experience in part because of competency. I think you're mm. absolutely, I would never take games off the hook. I think you're right that, that it's not just about the fact that we've been capitalizing on everybody's skills maturing at this crazy exponential rate and that we can keep making great money selling to people who are already great at games. You're, you're mm. certainly right that, that we could ask more of games sort of um, sort of by default, like it, for the longest time, it seemed like why would you like I iteration for its own sake actually seemed completely worthwhile. You just wanted to make the next best shooter. Um, the the, but I would also say that that even though we could be doing better on a let's say a thematic level to to use the term that we've been we've been sort of employing so far, we could be doing better and we could be we could be daring more. There is also a competency gap that that other mediums, particularly the more passive ones, uh, reading is 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 a still quite active in a lot of ways. Um, particularly the more passive ones don't have that barrier to entry. It's not it's not going to halt in place if you don't touch the sex toy in exactly the right way. <laughs> I've got Although what sex toys you're buying. I've got, I've got <laughs> one one more question I want to throw at you, Jordan. Oh, um, hold on, Ed. Just before go we on, read, move sorry. to that point, though, too, I feel like some of the some of the stuff when we say things about games aren't offering us enough to, you know, to, to stimulate our brains or to challenge us in any way. I, it sounds like when you're saying that, it sounds almost accusatory of developers. And I think really a lot of the responsibility lies on the critical atmosphere out there right now. That's very um, true. I, I think that the reason that we continue to have these, these kind of blockbusters, it's accessibility is a huge thing right the mainstream developer has to 
justify spending all this money making this game and wants to get as many people into it as possible. But we've also created a critical discourse which feeds into audience expectations, I think, where every you know superhero movie turned into a game, every sort of mindless blockbuster is good and therefore great. And so if we want to demand more, I don't think it's purely on developers to have to try to figure that out. No, I don't think there's there's no clean hands. I think that it's developers, I think it's publishers, I think it's people like you and I, critics, I think it's players. I think there are, you know, we're all in the same plague pit and everyone has sort of played their part in creating this cultural grotesque that we now <laughs> see ourselves trying to sort of disassemble. Yep. I don't know um, if it's bad as all of that. Oh, I, I absolutely do. Well, so yeah, I'm, with, I'm with Ed. Maybe it depends on the day yeah. as to whether I'd agree with you entirely on I that. Mean, I, I, to be fair, I generally tend to be among the more cynical people in the world. I, I, so I, don't, rule. I don't think it's cynical at all. I think that it's it's on the you know on the contrary, I think that it's it's not cynical because it's asking games is expecting more from games. I don't expect the lowest from games. I don't. I'm not cynical about them. I expect them to be, and I expect the criticism around games. And I expect the player attitudes towards games. And I expect the developer attitudes towards games to be better than they are, not worse than they are. I don't think it's cynical. I think that it's very optimistic, and you know I wouldn't want that optimism optimism to go away. Um, the 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 question I wanted to, to put it to Jordan. Um, you know, we, we talked uh, shortly ago about you're going for the sort of low... A lot of games seem like they're going for the, the, the low common denominator there. Uh, they're maybe trying to be for everyone, okay? So something like Fallout or, you know, you, you mentioned the VAT system. Patrick mentioned the sort of accessibility of navigation. Um, there's, a, there's a sense of trying to, to reach people and to be accessible. My question to you is, as the director on Bioshock 2, who was that game for, from your perspective, and maybe from the perspective of the the, the company at large? Mm. Well, um, I think, yeah, that that is a really difficult one to answer because um, I felt as the director of that game that it had transcended. Uh, that the previous game had sort of transcended the product of any kind of um, literal experience that anybody had and had become this kind of phantom, this delusion that they would talk about. And everybody thought that something different was very, very important about it. In fact, the most important thing and that which we should begin uh, by getting right TM. And I... So... so it was subject to incredible schedule pressure from the off um, to, to be done in, in two and a half years, two, two years really, and, and with a short delay there. Um, it, a, a completely new team um, uh, uh, made up of, of very few of the originals, right? Just as a small group of us. Um, and uh, for the fans. And so the, and the fans disagreed just wildly about what was important about it. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, I remember making my, my, the decisions I regret the most were actually along the lines of those we're discussing now, which were when I was assuming on behalf of a, a sort of, you know, stereotypically, uh, ignorant couch gamer, what they would like and, 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 and sort of, um, 
without without wrecking the story or anything like that, making decisions that I I thought would be sort of the the best power fantasy or or the the most accessible for its own sake. And now to be clear, there aren't a ton of those decisions like that, but there are enough that I still go like that was stupid. Like I, people will people will be willing to follow as as long as you execute well. Like I I could have been more daring uh, in some of the core choices, um, but uh, I I. By the end, I had to start letting the sort of rotten elements fall away and, and make a game that was as much for me as possible within the time and resources remaining. And that's where the little sister mode and, and some of the, some of the crazier uh, sort of sequences in that game came from was just me, me tr- trying to, re- trying to preserve something that I was, that I was going to be legitimately proud of and that, that felt new. Um, I don't know if that really answers your question, but but like that, that was a a two and a half year sleep deprived sort of um, fugue state for me, and and it's it's hard for me to speak consciously about what was what was largely a subconscious period of my life. <laughs> but well, I mean, was there ever a sense of um, uh, you know either either this is too base, we need to we need to make it more sophisticated. We've got an audience here that is perhaps. Uh, expecting a certain level of of artistry and, and literature, having played the first Bioshock, and we're not we're, we're being too much for everyone. Or was there ever a sort of conversation of you know this is this is too far the other way? This is getting a little highbrow. We need to sort of reduce this down, and you know we we've got money we need to make here. Oh God, absolutely yes to all. Like I cannot mm-hmm. overstate the degree to which contradictory mandates were leveled my way. But from all directions, by the way, people I respected, like this is, this wasn't like, everybody still really, because of the first game, respected the position of creative directors. So, so I'm not, I'm not trying to abdicate responsibility, but I will say that I, I didn't get a lot of useful trends out of what people said they wanted. Um, it, it was, it was, uh, kind of miasma. And so I, I remember, I remember saying, okay, well, there is enough of a push internally. And let's be clear, I was a level designer elevated to my first director job. Like the, the, this was like a, a huge leap. Um, there is enough of a trend towards this must be a big shooter franchise that I made a bunch of decisions that that I feel like maybe contradicted one of the thing that attracted me to the the first game uh, as a project, why, why, I, why I came on to help. Um, and that, that I feel, that is, that's the part that I, I feel the worst about is I, you know, my original thinking was like playing a former little sister, um, coming back, uh, a, a sort of horror experience, more pared down, a more desperate, you know, stuff that, that I guess is more in my wheelhouse. And, uh, and I went the other way. I, I went, I went the sort of power fantasy, fantasy direction, believing that that's what people wanted TM. Uh, and there is a lot of that. You can you can talk yourself into that, and, and it builds its own momentum because it seems like a good idea at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I'm still proud of lots of what came of that. Like we, we tried to make that as nuanced as we could. Um, but it's but once you start making something that 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 I guess is is not as much for yourself and, and is for a phantom third party. Um, I think you're getting into the weeds, and, and and it's worth questioning why why do you think that's important? Who who do you think your uh, is your master there? Because really, people want to be led to a new place. Um, t- trying trying to 
feed them what they loved yesterday is is kind of a recipe for disaster. Well, I, I think that kind of dovetails pretty nicely. It's what we were talking about in terms of accessibility. Oh, versus... thank God. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Like, uh, 100%, I think the sort of struggle... This whole episode also feels like some weird meta-commentary on the Magic Circle. If you've played it, I think it <laughs> becomes very clear. Uh, but, like, the idea that you make something that, regardless of what the actual development process was like for something like the first Bioshock, that game feels, you know, like uh, it's it's very of its time and it feels very confidently made. Uh, you know, uh, no matter what your opinion of it is, I think that game knows what it's what it is. Um, and then in mainstream game space, if you want to say, well, here's this interesting, you know, piece of culture, art, entertainment, whatever, make another one. You know, I, I just... In, in terms of the whole idea of of appealing to <clears throat> appealing to everyone but also making something that that kind of has some oomph to it that has some some direction to it I, I don't know that seems like an impossible ask yeah. well this is this is something that I wonder about an open world game uh, of the size of Fallout 3 um, is it even possible for a game that's structured so Sort of loosely, but also tightly. I mean, it's 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 structured in a way that uh, it's just going to let you go off and do what you want. Um, but also, you know, it's it's got lots and lots and lots of stuff in it that's been that's been rigorously sort of placed and and created. But is it is it possible for a game like that to have? Is it possible for open world games to have any sense of autism? And I, and I mean, oh, sure. I mean like Absolutely. a, I mean like a single voice. I don't mean, I mean, I do mean in the in the dictatorial. <laughs> this, this this person wrote this game, and this is what they were trying to say about this. Is it possible for an open world game the size of Fallout to be able to do that? Anyone. Mm. See, I said absolutely, but having said absolutely, I am now not actually that sure. You see, I wonder, I mean, Patrick, I mean, it, it, it's a game that uh, I know you enjoy. I don't know if Reed's played it, I don't know if Jordan's played it, but Far Cry 2, which you mentioned earlier, uh, I think that, that that very much, or at least as close as I can think, gets there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're right. I don't know why I didn't think of that, because I'm literally playing Far Cry 2 at all times. Yeah, I think that... I think that gets there. Um, if there's any other open world games that I think have got a, because you know people talk about the story of an open world game, and we can say that the story of Fallout Three is you play this survivor and you've got to start this water purifier and you've got to find your dad and you come for the vault. But that's not the story of Fallout Three. The story of Fallout Three is you walked around for three hours picking up bottle caps off the floor. The story, of, the story of Red Dead Redemption isn't John Marston trying to get his family by by doing these murders for the federal government. The story of Red Dead Redemption is you crashed your horse into a river then you spend six hours picking flowers and then you you know what I mean the story of that game if you take it as a kind of the camera is always on perspective See, these are the things that are usually lauded with games like that people normally love like the individual or the emergent qualities um, I actually tend to go the other way because I think as we've talked about that it gets in the way of any sort of not any sort of but a lot of the the opportunity you have to to inject authorship into your work. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if I'd say that 
you know, thank you about that question. Um, I, I don't know if you could say that there's a sense of authorship or something to it, but in terms of like a defined narrative with a specific, you know, uh, drive behind it, a cohesive tone to it and everything, I, th I think it is possible. I think mm -hmm. you talk about something like Far Cry 2, and I, th I think uh, the, the various parts of that, if you want to look at it in the same way of what you're saying, if it's a story about, you know, the mercenary doing things, it's also a story about a mercenary, you know, setting a patch of grass on fire and killing their best friend by accident. You know, it's mm -hmm. also a story about driving your Jeep off a cliff because you couldn't control it properly. You know, it's Admittedly. A... <laughs> Although I, I will say that, and, um, in my discussions of Far Cry 2 previously, I've said that probably its greatest strength is that mechanically and narratively, the, that game overlaps itself perfectly. Um, yeah, that game, well, that's what like, I mean. From, from a narrative perspective, it literally is about driving around setting Africa on fire. Um, that is what your character, capital B, does. So it's not incongruous to spend three hours crashing your Jeep into a zebra or whatever, because that's that doesn't well, strip you out of that moment. Yeah, and that, that's why I would say that there is a possibility. I think a game like The Witcher 3 is also another game where uh, it, it has everything you're doing is, is part of what it's trying to tell you. There's mm. very little... Uh, I, I can't even think of any offhand of, of just sort of disposable go and do this to have some fun. Um, so I'd say it is possible, but I think, you know, it's too many games are kind of forced into that model for it to for it to work necessarily. Um, yeah, I don't think it's, I, I, you know, I, I don't want to suggest that you know, open world games should be doing this or open, go, open world games are worse because they do not do this or would be better if they did do this. It's just a question of, you know, basically, it's the question that, Jordan, I imagine you've been turning over in your head for a lot of your career that someone like Chris Crawford has been contending with forever. And the question that I think is pretty much the root of every single video game criticism essay ever written. <laughs> is it is, is it possible to unite player and developer and create some sort of, you know, artistic cooperation between them can can you say what you want whilst working in a medium designed to allow other people to say equally if not more loudly what they want based on uh, based on what i have personally experienced and what i know of the folks at bethesda and, and what they were trying to sort of say with the say with their world without without necessarily using words because I don't want to get bogged down for just a second and like, what does the script say? Because I think that's fraught in a whole different way. But just like, what is what is your experience of the world say? You know, I I sort of sang that duet with them. I I had a moment where um I was uh, I was playing a Fallout Three DLC and and you know you love or hate the DLC it was it was it involved the the theft of a baby, um and. Uh, this baby eventually becomes like this little object that you sort of transfer from one location to another. And, and, you know, this was like a couple years before I would become a father, but I was starting to think about it. And my character had nuked Megaton. Okay. <laughs> and so I frequently went back to the crater of Megaton and was like, Oh, that's right. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm the problem. And so, so 
by the time I this DLC came out, which was significantly after, I, w- I was trying to think about how to end my experience with Fallout because I knew what the authorial ending was. I knew what the the sort of water purifier ending was, and and it was just not and it had anything nothing to do with me, and actually didn't seem that much to have to do with the world, right? Like the world was was telling me something different. So here I'm standing in front of the crater of Megaton, and and I so I I set myself a quest to find every toy in the world that I could, and surround that baby in in his new home. Uh, with with those toys, and then walk into the crater that I made and let the radiation kill me. And I and because of the 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 chemistry set that they left in their world for me, and because there were enough authorial elements, like the fact that there was a baby, and the fact that I moved it to a better home, and all this kind of this stuff that without which that moment wouldn't have held any meaning for me, I I could not have expressed that that sort of weird desire to rather than like finding my own dad who was sort of I don't know. Like those those initial moments, I really remember very strongly. Like I love those those first few Liam Neeson moments where the tutorial is really just you are an infant. Um, like I, I thought that was very clever. I I wanted to I wanted that legacy to transfer, and so I I gave everything I could to make give that make that player that kid that kid a better person than I was, and then I nuked my I nuked myself with consequences, and mm. uh, and I felt really good about that ending. That's where I, that's where I quit. Mm. Um, and. So, so that duet, that the resulting, the, the resulting sort of you know authorial influence, but 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 strongly answered by my own style and, and sort of um, semiotic map on that world, um, I, I I'll never forget it. It, it helped me sort of long term decide like maybe parenthood wouldn't be so bad. It's it, it, I know that sounds bizarre, but uh, for for me, I feel like like somebody was saying uh, um, several minutes ago now the, that that players also have to ask a little more of themselves too that the the mm. act of, of playing with meaning and and uh, treating your experience there like like it might matter um, is is something that, that I would ask of people uh, as well um, I, I, I think that the uh, we as authors have to strive for more but but um, if the player wants to be co-author they have to do the same I absolutely agree I think that if you're going to go to an installation art piece you've got to follow the installation artist to an extent you can't just you know stare at the floor yeah um and you know i i i think everyone probably you know has a story about some open world game i remember playing grand theft auto 4 and you reach the end and either uh the ending that i i did your cousin is shot and killed the woman that you love refuses to talk to you you're kind of alone you're left alone in the city you know there's no more missions on my radar i've done all the kind of friendship stuff i can't like go and see anyone else so I just walked Nico up to the top of the building and, and he jumped off and killed himself because it felt like, <laughs> yeah. you know, that was the point in his life that he had reached after all of this. Yeah. And that's it. You know, and I turned the game off. Um, so, yeah, I think that there is, you know, Reed, like you were saying, it's it's not fair to just kind of lay this at the feet of developers. The, the, the onus is on um, players and, and, and critics to sort of talk about the act of playing a game uh, as like a responsibility, you know, you've got a responsibility to the game and to the to the people that made it. But um, I, I I still worry. I mean, we've probably gone way off base here, and I, I still I, I still <laughs> no, think it's interesting though. But I still I, think, I think is 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 that what these games is that what games pander to? Is that the kind of attitude that they engender? Because I, I 
open world games in particular, what they engender to me is not, you know, be respectful. It's not take responsibility. It's you're the boss. You can do what you want. All of this stuff is for you. And so many games seem to engender in players uh, cosseted, spoiled attitudes. You know, I characterize them as being sort of worshipped by a game like some Persian god king. You know, it's just <laughs> everything is thrown at the feet of the player, like some, yeah, some, some spoiled child regent from the British monarchy. And uh, yeah, I, I think that that does the opposite of asking them to, res- to be responsible and to do the kind of things that help the story along. Reed, what do you think? Oh, I don't know. It's so it's so tough because I I don't know. Like you like the story that that Jordan is telling. There there is so much of, about what he did at the end of Fallout Three or in that DLC. There is so much power to that, but I don't know if I. This sounds so dismissive and fucking ivory tower smug, whatever. But I don't know if you can expect everyone to do that. You know, I, I don't know if you can if you can expect them to to give as much as the developer is given. You know, if they feel like because this is an experience that they have purchased and brought into their home, it has to be given to them, not that mm. they have to participate any more than following the instructions. Um, mm. I don't know. This is a, that's a big one. It is a big one. I think that personally, and this this is snobbish, and I I, I I'm very open with the fact that I'm a I'm a snob when it comes to games. I'm a snob when it comes to films. I'm a snob when it comes to books. Uh, but I I personally think that the attitude of of, of I've I've bought this. I've paid for it. Um, it it has to pleasure me on my terms. I think that's a really really shameful and and. Uh, unfortunate attitude to have to these things um you know I, I i know people who watch a television series like the wire and they say well i'm not watching that because i don't understand the slang so well you know learn the slang pay attention you know i, I think that this idea that that things should be sort of spoon-fed and that because you paid money for it and you own it it should do as you say that's not how art should function that's not how entertainment should function you know that the joy of these things is to be challenged um Patrick, how do, how do you feel about this? Um, I think it goes back to what I said at the beginning of the show. People play games for different reasons. Um, some people just want a thing that they can do with their hands for you know a, a bus ride. Other people mm-hmm. play games as a an actual means of ingesting art in a different form. And some people fall you know in the middle of those two extremes. Um, I do think that video games in particular have a really big problem with you know. Uh, laying things at people's feet. I think a lot of developers, especially the, the you know the larger the studio, the larger the game, the more you see developers who seem as though they are terrified of doing anything that could potentially stand in between the player and ultimate victory. Um, which is a shame. I think I mean I think you can tell stories that way, but I think you can tell a very specific kind of story, and I think we have told that story which is essentially big strong usually man kills everything and saves everybody we've told that story hundreds and hundreds of times and when you look at games particularly open world games like far cry 3 or like the the later fallouts um they're just the reason games such as those are growing so bloated is because (laughs) we've told the story and we need to do something else we definitely don't want to change up our our attitude 
um, RE relationship between developer and player because the player is sacrosanct. So we're just going to give them more stuff to, to do. We're going to give them you know more items on the grocery list to to, to pick up. I. You know, this idea that, you know, games can do different things for different people, I'm absolutely comfortable with that. Um, my sort of snobbishness, I don't want to be confused with uh, wanting some sort of, sort of cultural utilitarianism or like uniformity where, you know, everything serves the same purpose. My problem isn't that, you know, games do different things for different people. It's that AAA games in particular target only a very specific kind of experience wanted by a very specific kind of people. Uh, or at least that's how it often feels, uh, and that any any other sort of experience that you get is kind of after the fact, and it, it's the result of quite generous interpretation. Um, well, isn't that all we? <clears throat> I think this is comes down to it's a bit pat and everything, but I think it ultimately just comes down to you want more diversity of experiences. You know, you, you yeah. want you want. Uh, I I always say this exact same goddamn thing, but. I think games in the mainstream space kind of stay the same in certain respects, but it's, I love action movies and I don't want to watch action movies all the time. You know, Mm -hmm. I I want, Mm -hmm. I I don't want things taken away from other people. You just want more stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. you want uh, to have a space and, and any form of any medium needs diversity in expression in, in order to be healthy. I think. And well, well, and there's a couple of takeaways as well. At least, at least for me, like I, you guys sort of reminded me that the the relationship of art to entertainment and art to the sort of uh, patronage of, of funded art uh, has always been fraught, right? Like that's that is the path. Oh, yeah. part. We, we we just know that that the sort of purity that I an ideal. Um, sort of aesthete might might expect from a piece of interactive media um, is to some degree compromised by who where did the money come from but um, the thing that that I just remembered is that there it is worth asking yourself even inside like a huge company are you patronizing your assumed audience by by saying, they're too stupid. They're too. Their their lives are too hard. They, they're not going to be able to handle this. That thematic element element is is too controversial because if you look at the breakout hits these days in other mediums, they are often the ones who are are willing to dare far more to to go to more difficult places. You know, the, the Wire is a good example of a show that worked on a lot of levels. People people love that show um, for. For very different reasons, let's say, and, and whether or not they understood the slang, or or you know constantly think about about what it means to be part of that system after watching it, like that is still a show that it took a lot of balls to say no, they're gonna they'll be able to keep up. God damn it, we're gonna do it this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's the takeaway for me is just don't underestimate people. Like try try to lead them to a, a new and interesting place as opposed to assume <laughs> that they they have to stay in in uh, Ed's plague pit. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's definitely a, uh, and if you build it, they will come sort of mentality well, that you can take out of that. I, I, this I think brings on to I think the last question and and what should probably be the last point of the show, just because of time. And I, I Jordan, I'm kind of throwing to you uh, to to wrap us up here, so I apologise. Um, but Reed, you know, you mentioned diversity and more diversity and more choice and different experiences are, are, are very healthy, and I agree and. 
Jordan, you said, you know, it's, it's wrong to patronise, it's wrong to assume that people can't deal with something or only want a certain thing, and I agree also. Um, and I think that the, the what that brings me to is what I'd see as the central paradox of games like Fallout, of open world games. Open world games, by definition, by name, imply diversity, imply range of experience, yet they all are about a man on a quest using weapons to defeat enemies to become the patron saint of the world, to become the richest entity in the world. Every open world game has a similar if not identical paradigm. Guns might be swords, raiders might be elves, the witcher might be the lone wanderer, but still... So I, what I feel about open world games is that these are the ones that imply diversity by their nature, but are probably one of the most homogenous genres. Uh, to wrap up the show, I'm interested in anyone's riposte. I mean, Jordan, what would you say to that? Uh, let me go last. <laughs> because okay. You've actually okay. heard me respond to that sort of throughout to an extent. So let, let me try to think of something closing. You guys go first. Read. Yeah, I don't I don't know, Ed. That was such a that wasn't a question. That was just you <laughs> just stating what you thought. No, which yeah. well, you know, it's, and, and that's important too, actually. <laughs> like that's a that is a position. No, no, but, I I to, to phrase it as a question, is the open world genre despite implying diversity and breadth of experience similar from game to game yeah that's yeah sorry i i feel like that that sounded unnecessarily mean and i wasn't no 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 i mean i talked to you enough that i figure you can tell when i'm <laughs> taking oh yeah i mean I, I i don't want to get reductionist because at the end of the day um you can say that essentially about every video game ever it all boils down to you know guiding an avatar from A to B in some fashion but I think that yes within the open world genre if we'll call it that um, there does seem to be a kind of ubiquitous um, well, it's like a formula again. right mm. yeah it's, it's, it's a ubiquitous kind of rapidity um, that it, it's more about filling up the, the time than it is about Using the the tools that are that are present to the best of their their narrative intimate capacity, and that's probably not overly charitable. I recognize, um, and again, I say this full disclosure as a person who really doesn't like open world games. Um, but I think, yeah, in in general, Ed, I'm inclined to come down a little bit more on on your side. Yeah. I, oh, sorry. Sorry. Right, go on. Uh, I was going to say I I probably. I think it's valuable what Patrick said about how, you know, if if you want to be reductionist, I'm sure you could say that about any genre that they that they do kind of blend together over time. But um but there is something about kind of the open world structuring that it, sometimes it seems like Grand Theft Auto 3 set a template and then, you know, uh Elder Scrolls, uh, I forget the blanking on it now, the one that was the big breakthrough one. Oblivion. Oblivion. Like, like these games kind of came out and everyone looked at them and said, okay, this is how we do it now. Mm. Um, but I, I don't know. I'm, I'm always hesitant to say, well, 
you know that's the whole genre open world games are homogenous i i think the ones we have right now are, are maybe stick too closely to one another in terms of how they want to structure themselves but i don't think it has to be that way i think oh, yeah. right now it's kind of like that but hopefully you know it's you don't want to you don't want to say like forget this whole idea of having a game world where you progress at your own pace oh, we have actually yeah. I totally agree, Reed. I think that it, it's it's the state of things now, but by no means should it always or will it always be. Sorry, John, to interrupt. Oh uh, no, I, I was doing the same. I, I just that I think open world games are just a particularly sticky example of the playable myth. Meaning the the power of myth is in a few sort of archetypical elements that endure, and then the infinite and very worthy mutations that it undergoes over the the centuries, right? And so Far Cry 2 took that power fantasy and sort of turned it on its head. You you think mm-hmm. that you are are, you know, Beowulf, but actually you are you and the world are sort of Grendel, right? So so mm-hmm. the the it, and and this is not an open world game, but in the Magic Circle, we we started out trying to say like, okay, like, you know, we came back to theme for a second. We talked about theme. Like, what what if we tried to make the playable Prometheus? What if we tried to make a game about the transference of power to the player and the sort of how how hotly contested that is? And the little wrinkle that we added, the little wrinkle was, okay, what if Prometheus then becomes Zeus? What if what if what if you are an asshole? <laughs> like what if what if you are just as capable of being an asshole once you're given that uh, you know authorial power there's some responsibility in it right mm-hmm. the the open world games are not inherently uh sort of corrupt or or cesspool like they just desperately need somebody to to ask what's our twist what is our wrinkle what are we saying that's new and far cry 2 absolutely did it, it, it exists we just we just, as authors and players, have to strive to be a little fucking better at this. <laughs> I hope that doesn't sound pat, because because I, I legitimately believe that is worth saying aloud to yourself over and over until you until death. <laughs> yeah, no, it's that's very true. If if you care about this, you know, if you care about games and you want good games, then absolutely, mm, fuck up. Um. Well, I think that that's a pretty comprehensive note to end on. Um, everyone needs to fucking pull their socks up and just start turn, <laughs> turn their brains on. Right, which ironically all brings us all the way back to what it's actually like to survive the hard scrabble wasteland. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Make something See, from this, nothing, this, you sons of bitches. This really has all been about Fallout. Yeah. <laughs> Every single thing we said. Um, oh. yeah. Well, the entire podcast is a metaphor. It's good. It's good. This nosebleed that I have finally feels justified. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, we started on the main quest of Fallout 3 and got into some side missions there. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Uh, no, I kind of like that. You know, I'm laboring that analogy. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> um, Alright, well, let's let's leave this one here then. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't, it feels a little bit incongruous to now just sort of jump in and say, I've been Ed Smith, this has been Reed McCarthy. <laughs> because I, I think we all probably feel a little bit old and a little bit sort of more jaded and crisp 
uh, <laughs> after this conversation. Um, but if you enjoyed this show, uh, you can find our Twitter at Bullet Points Pod and uh, the rest of the episodes www.bulletpoints.com. I don't know why I said www. No one says that anymore. Um, you can also donate podcast.com. Bulletpointspodcast.com. Thank you, Reed. You should be the host. No. Uh, you can you you can also uh, on that website if you enjoyed the show and you want to hear more and help support us. There's a little uh, PayPal donation function there now. Uh, we are desperate for your money. Um, so I've been Ed Smith. You can find me on Twitter at most and see the Ed. Most of my writing goes up there as well as uh, new episodes of this show. Reed, I uh, am Reed. I have been. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Reed McCarter. Patrick. Uh, also on Twitter, um, at Hanfreakinsolo is where you will find me. Um, anytime I do, I do a thing, I tell Twitter. So if you want to keep up with me, just follow me there. And I'm Jordan. Oh, well, thanks for having me, guys. I, I, I'm Jordan Thomas. Uh, thanks for listening to me friggin' chew space for however long that was. Uh, <laughs> you can find me at, at Nullspeak, N-U-L-L-S-P-E-A-K. And uh, it is worth noting that, I mean, a lot of the things that we've talked about on this show uh this isn't just a thanks jordan for coming on the show we're going to plug your game now moment <laughs> uh but a lot of the themes that we, we've talked about here i mean obviously they they're, they're um evident in games like bioshock but the magic circle uh reed you enjoyed it as well as i did yeah i did and i yeah i wasn't just you know being flipped before saying that this podcast felt like magic circle meta commentary i think if you are interested in any of the themes of kind of how i mean jordan should be saying this i shouldn't be pitching this game for him but if you're interested in the kind of stuff we talked about i think you'd probably enjoy the magic circle quite a bit i i absolutely agree um yeah we'll probably drop some i mean reed you've written about it i've written about it we might drop some of our writing into the, the show notes on this one um yeah so that's been this episode uh next time i'm not sure what we're going to be covering in the future we're probably going to be lightening up and doing 50 cent blood on the sand yeah, thank you. next time <laughs> hell yeah I like for real I mean yeah it, we probably need something of a calm down after this one um, so a game which features the line that bitch took my skull will be perfect uh, that is like the best elevator pitch in the history of the world yeah <laughs> what's, what's our next game about well it's like this bitch who takes a skull <laughs> solved uh, until then, thanks again for listening. This has been Bullet Points, and we'll be back again shortly. <laughs>